Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. And uh, let me invite you to interact with us live. And you can uh, check this out on YouTube. And we'll be watching the comment section throughout today's discussion. Or you can reach us at BibleQuest.tv. If there's some spiritual topic that you want to discuss or there's a particular passage you have in mind, we'd love to hear from you. We want to talk about uh, things that you find relevant. Uh, and your questions and concerns in your journey to know the Lord and his word. Uh, today, we have with us Scott Smelser. Scott, you doing all right today? I'm doing all right, and apparently today I am Bertina, but I noticed Tim is also Michelle. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't want to say anything there, but your login is uh, a little more feminine than usual, <laughs> gentlemen. Uh, Tim, uh, how are you doing? You, you okay with your out-of-body experience? <laughs> yeah, doing well. Actually, it was the same as last week, but nobody brought it up, so I thought I was going to get away with it again. But it's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Well, glad you guys are with us, and I think we're continuing the discussion from last week. Really rich. We kind of had to uh, squeeze it all in. There's a lot to discuss about the spiritual realm. Uh, Tim, what do you have for us today? Sure. I thought there's just a few more points we can mention about heaven uh, and the concept of the spiritual realm, uh, but then move on to. Uh, entities or beings inhabiting the spiritual realm and the way that i've kind of organized that are the spiritual beings that are in god in in god's presence and then the spiritual beings that are not in god's presence just a different way of saying the good and bad uh spiritual beings um so we'll see how far we can get through that nice nice yeah uh it's hard to talk about those things sometimes because i think we mentioned last time we're we're living in this three-dimensional realm and we often even think of things in two dimensions like good bad mm -hmm. and there's some complexity here with the spiritual realm so uh yeah so what did you have left over from last time you wanted to touch on just real quick the idea that you know we mentioned the heavenly realm and so not just the idea of god's home but this spiritual realm that exists around and overlaps uh, the physical realm and we being physical and spiritual people inhabit both realms really kind of simultaneously as we await uh, our new spiritual bodies to inhabit the spiritual realm in a more realized sense whatever that's going to be like um and we kind of didn't get a chance to talk about some of the main application um of the idea that we are living in the spiritual realm as we speak. And so I thought I would see what you guys have to say about that. What um, what are some verses, what are some applications, some things I should keep in mind if I am a physical being and a spiritual being and I'm inhabiting the spiritual realm now during this life, what are some biblical lessons uh, reg regarding that information? First one that comes to mind is Matthew 6. Uh, verse 19, it's kind of like this is low-hanging fruit, and yet it's so basic we often forget it. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and wh where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we understand there's something beyond uh, what we experience in this physical plane, well, we better act like it and invest in the things that are eternal. Absolutely. And the idea of so sojourners and pilgrims, uh, it's mentioned in Hebrews 11 and in 1 Peter 2. Beloved, I beseech you as sojourners 
and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts. Uh, so we live here. Uh, we're meant to enjoy the food that's here that feeds our, our physical uh, bodies. If the Lord says, don't eat of that tree, then don't eat of that tree. But in general, we're meant to enjoy the food. We're meant to enjoy the relationship of marriage. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, Proverbs 5 says. But we need to remember, it's like the old song says, this world is not my home. So if you're if you're on a trip and you need to stop for the night, you don't contact a realtor mm-hmm. and shop mortgages and buy a house because you're just there briefly. And do that concept that we're sojourners and pilgrims trying to remember that this isn't our home. Yeah, I think of Colossians, uh, therefore you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Um, Yes, we're here on earth in the physical realm, but if our ultimate goal is to be in the spiritual realm, then that's where 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 our eyes are where our mind is, that's what should govern our life. And I'm mindful too, you mentioned Hebrews. In in Hebrews 12, I think, he mentions the idea of all things being shaken. And what are the things that are going to remain after all things are shaken? And it's almost this this image where God grabs his existence and gives it a good shaking and all the impermanent things shake away. And the permanent things are the things that that remain and are lasting. The physical realm is what's real to us. Uh, that's what we we what we're active in and we we relate to. But what is a which realm has a greater reality though? The spiritual realm that might feel imagined or or might feel unrelatable. The spiritual realm is actually the greater reality than the physical realm that we're currently living in. And so the goal of a Christian is to, as physical people, uh, live um, and choose to live according to the spiritual spiritual realm rather than the physical. Well, and with that, if if the greater reality, and it is, is in the heavenly realm, um, passages like Ephesians 1 that talk about um, our eyes being open to know the hope to which we're called, the immeasurable greatness of God's power. This is Ephesians 1, verse 19. Um, there, there's a power at work in believers that we don't see, but we know is real because of Jesus and his resurrection. So there's this um, physical proof that's been given that there is a, a greater reality here, and we have access to that power, and I'm afraid sometimes we don't act like it. Sometimes I, I depend on myself and my own strengths, or I uh, shy away from challenging, difficult circumstances because, again, I'm depending on myself. Whereas mm-hmm. if we were depending on the Lord and we really believed he was at work in believers, we, we might do things a little differently. And talking about the which reality is, is really greater, Ephesians 2 mentions when we were dead in our sins. Uh, and so you can look out at the world and you can see two people. They're both physically alive. They're Both hearts are beating. Both have oxygen, carbon dioxide intake going, uh, exhaust going on. But one is spiritually alive and one is spiritually dead. And you just look at people who are just selfish and petty and mean and dishonest and 
they're physically alive, but to what purpose? They're avoiding the very purpose for which they were created. Mm -hmm. And then in Christ, we have our sins forgiven and be guided to walk in ways of light and called to walk in ways of life. Wow, what a difference. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we kind of started our lesson or our discussion last week talking about the balance between, you know, speculation and versus completely ignoring a topic and we shouldn't do either. We shouldn't speculate and add, we shouldn't ignore it completely. And with discussions about these spiritual, supernatural things where we might be afraid of speculating and so we don't want to go down that that road. So we kind of just don't talk about, we don't study much. But when we fail to look at what the scriptures actually say about it is when we really fail to to receive the value, the truth that can be known based off the things that are revealed in scripture. And, uh, you know, uh, what we've just talked about uh, these last few minutes is an, ex I mean, that's an essential truth uh, that has practical meaning in our lives. It changes the way that we think and we act. And so that's why we do see that there is benefit looking at what can we know certainly about these spiritual heavenly things because the certain things that we can know are going to come with valuable lessons uh, that have practical impact in our lives so it's kind of cool to see that really come together with that point there uh good thoughts so the last thing i want to mention um and uh, i think we can go through this briefly but i think it needs to be said or brought up is the concept of the kingdom of heaven and this is kind of a confusing concept because when we hear you know the term kingdom of heaven naturally what we're what we're thinking of is oh well that's the kingdom when christ comes back and he resurrects his saints we'll all dwell in the in the heavenly kingdom we'll dwell in the kingdom of heaven and when we go through scripture whenever we see the phrase kingdom of heaven we say oh so this passage must be about that eternal paradise that we're waiting for our reward as saints after christ comes and consummates all, all things but is that exactly what the kingdom of heaven is would you would you guys care to talk a little bit about this concept of the kingdom of heaven for us well just one detail i'll mention when you're it depends on which gospel you're looking at which okay. phrase is used uh matthew and mark in, in one it's repeatedly the kingdom of god and the other one it's the kingdom of heaven and so just to, and you'll see sometimes premillennials will make a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus said, repent, the time is at hand, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in one gospel, the same statement, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand in the other gospel. So those two things are the same. Now, go ahead, guys, with how to show that we, in fact, do inhabit the kingdom of heaven now. Well, just the passage comes to mind is Matthew 28, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Um, Ephesians 1 repeats the same idea that he is above all rules, rulers and authorities and powers. Um, and we're reigning in some sense with him. Now, you mentioned the idea that he's not consummated this. It's not ultimately fulfilled. It's, uh, but there's a sense in which the kingdom is very much in existence now or I don't know what to make sense of Jesus's words in Matthew 28. Uh, he really does have all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, and if it's not an earthly kingdom, 
then I don't know what else there is but a, a heavenly kingdom. Yep. And, you know, good Bible study tools, we've always got to follow the context, be led by the context. Our conclusions have to conform to what the context is saying. And uh, one challenging thing that Scripture does is it uses the same terms for different things. I think that's uh, part of the confusion with Holy Spirit topics, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's one term that's going to be used for for different meanings, and, and that, that's hard for us to um, to kind of see. Uh, same thing with kingdom of God. Uh, as you mentioned, Scott, yeah, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, it's kingdom of God, but Gospel of Matthew, it's kingdom of heaven almost exclusively. And when you look at parallel passages and you see in the same parable, everything is the same except that term kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We see the interchangeability of it. And when we hear kingdom of God, we think the kingdom kingdom that belongs to God. And so we don't necessarily think of heaven because we know God rules over everything. So we can imagine the kingdom of God being here on earth. But the kingdom of heaven is it's the same, same idea. It's the kingdom that belongs to the realm of heaven. It's the heavenly kingdom. Um, and to me, what helps is when you go through the, the gospel of Matthew, so many of the parables are descriptions of the kingdom of heaven. They knew the kingdom was coming. They were waiting for it, and they didn't know what it was going to be like. They had anticipations and expectations. But Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13 is a series of parables that reveal mysteries about the kingdom of heaven. And when you look at these uh, mysteries of the kingdom, it's things like, well, it's like a mustard seed starts off small, and it grows to be larger than you would expect. It's like that... um, it's like the, the leaven where uh, a little bit affects a lot. Or I think of Matthew 18, a kingdom of heaven is like a king who forgives his slave a great debt. And then that slave refuses to forgive his fellow slave a much smaller debt. And so that unforgiving slave is then cast into torment. Uh, when we look at these parables describing the kingdom of heaven, we, we begin to see something that we are familiar with here on earth here and now. Much of our Christian living really relates to these parables about the kingdom of heaven. The guy who shows up to the wedding feast without proper clothing and is cast out. That's like the kingdom of heaven. Uh, And so a lot of the parables describe what we experience as Christians in this church age. And so we see those are descriptions of the kingdom here and now that Christ has established. But you look at 1 Corinthians 50, uh, 1550, Paul says, now this, uh, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We spoke of that last week, where to to inhabit that spiritual realm, we need a spiritual body. So there, the kingdom of God, I do believe, refers to that consummated age where we are in the heavenly kingdom and our new spiritual bodies. But kingdom of God in Luke or kingdom of heaven in Matthew might be referring to a kingdom that is already established and that we exist in right now. So a lot, a lot of good study that can be done there. And so a key thing there is like what you said before, context, because there are passages in Paul and in Matthew where it's referring to the kingdom after the day of judgment. Uh, and so a couple of examples of those, the one you just mentioned, uh, when he's talking about the resurrection, and he's made it clear through the context, Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits, but we won't be raised until that last day. 
Uh, and on that last day, death will be conquered. And then if we're alive, we'll be changed. So this flesh and blood won't go up because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. In that text, it's kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But it's the context that shows us there that it's limited to afterwards. Likewise, in Matthew 7, this time kingdom of heaven. Uh, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, enters into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my father, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and that? And I'll say, I never knew you depart. So those two are way future. Um, there, there's a, I don't like many Catholic phrases, but there is one I kind of like. They talk about the church militant and the church victorious. Um, and we're in the kingdom militant now, and then there's the kingdom victorious later. But to see that it's also now, just three quick points, uh, John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, Jesus says, 17, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Then in Mark, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 9, 1, some of you won't taste death until you see the kingdom come. And in Colossians, writing in the 60s, he writes to the Colossians and he says to these Christians, you were translated into the kingdom. And so whether it's the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing, because as Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is. Not this Tim, uh, really helpful. Uh, I know we've got a lot to cover in spiritual beings today, but, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned in Matthew 22, I don't know if you said the passage or not, but you mentioned the parable about the kingdom of heaven um, and the man without the garment, he's cast out into outer darkness. Uh, I'm kind of slapping myself on the forehead here. Uh, your understanding is that that is about the kingdom now, not about what's coming. Um and I guess I've never seen that before, but a lot of times in Jesus's parable, kingdom of heaven is about what has been established now in Jesus's rule. So is, is that is that what you're saying about Matthew 22? So, uh, I think maybe it could be taken a couple of different ways. Um, what we have is the kingdom of heaven being compared to a wedding feast. And I think in scripture, we see that wedding feast uh, applying to the kingdom that Christ established. We are feasting with Christ right now even the Lord's Supper. So I, I think we should see ourselves in this post-wedding you know, wedding ceremony where Christ marries his church, his bride, and here we are feasting in this party. Uh, but I think it, it could also apply to the ultimate reward that we're waiting for. Yeah. It, this parable doesn't maybe mean both because you've got the, the wedding feast prepared and the invited guests reject it. But then all the hooligans decide that they want to come. And so that applies to a majority of the Jewish population refusing um, the Christ and not entering into the kingdom. And yet many of the Gentiles entered in. But what of a Gentile who seeks to enter into the kingdom to be a part of this party, but then refuses to to have appropriate garments, refuses to live according to or in a way that's fitting to that party? Well, then he is cast out of the party once again. Okay. That, that might even support um, the idea that we can, um, w- is it that he never was really a part of the party and he's found that and cast out or he was, and then he is no longer fit and so is cast out. Um, and so I, I think it can maybe, maybe apply to that yeah. as well. I, I need to go back and look at that. That's helpful. 
And some of the kingdom parables focus more on the now or on the later. In Matthew 13, the kingdom is like a sower sowing seed. And some seed doesn't want to listen. And some seed gets excited. But then when it gets difficult, it fades away. And some seed gets excited. But then it gets excited about something else. And some, well, that's now. But then the next one, the parable of the tares, describes both the now, wheats and tares growing up together. But at the end, he says, yeah, and and then the the fish and the nets. And so a, a lot of the parables can cover both and or one or the other uh because it's related we're, we're, we want to be part of the kingdom now and being part of the kingdom now with the king who died for our sins lets us be in that exalted state of the kingdom later when we leave this flesh and blood part yeah and that's why i think uh some of some of the i don't know not argument the bad connotation but some of the arguing back and forth is not fruitful in that it doesn't come to a conclusion because we're arguing like mutual exclusive, mutual exclusive meaning of the kingdom of heaven. When really it's it is both. It, it applies to both. It depends. Can we understand it as two different stages or eras of the kingdom? Um, and so we should we shouldn't argue. Well, the kingdom isn't here because we're waiting for for that heavenly kingdom. But we also shouldn't argue that the kingdom is only what we're experiencing here. When clearly Scripture speaks about the kingdom being that which we're waiting for in the future and so i think we should try to again reconcile the scriptures together to come up with the ultimate conclusion that god's seeking for us so cool so that to me that's that's an important topic and has i've struggled to really kind of nail that down but i think uh it is something we can become pretty can become pretty clear we can be pretty certain on if we spend some time with that uh maybe with some of the time that we have remaining we can speak about some of these um beings and entities in the spiritual realm in the heavenly realms and this is not the kingdom of heaven necessarily that we as christians are a part of but just the spiritual existence at large uh when we talk yes sir uh, well i just was going to say that this is probably the section of this whole discussion the topic that most people are interested in um this whole discussion about heaven and hell uh okay but um I've, I've spoken with people who just get lost in this discussion about spiritual beings mm-hmm. and knowing the unseen realm and how all that connects to today. Um, and so I almost want to shy away from this, but I think like you said before, it is really helpful that we do discuss this because there's a benefit. And I hope we get a chance to just talk about the nuts and bolts of it, but then, okay, what difference does it make to a Christian to know these things? Cause mm-hmm. I think it really does. So, yeah, yeah, I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. Very good. And, you know, and again, uh, we don't want to speculate so we don't study it. But, but the truth is when you really do study something and you look at it, and if you do your best to compile all the relevant passages, put them together, not only do you come up with what you do know about the topic, you also come up with what you know you don't know about the topic. And when people discuss these kinds of things, we can very easily be saying things as if we know them without realizing we don't know yeah. that, you know. And uh, so if the more that I look at this, when someone begins to speak to me about this or that, I'll be able to distinguish, OK, that that thing that they're saying, I know of passages that w- would support that. But then this element here or this aspect there, you know, it doesn't really say that. In scripture 
And it's not that we need to argue, oh, that's not the case. But we would say, well, we don't necessarily know that. And we're not going to, I don't think we'll get to talk much about Satan today. He's obviously a, a big part of the you know, this topic. Uh, but the origins of Satan, you know, people talk a lot about the origins of Satan because, I mean, well, of course, I, what, what could be more engaging or fascinating than that? There's a lot of comic book movies, um, you know, going around. And the, the best comic book movies are always the first one because the most interesting aspects are the origin of the of the character yeah, yeah. um of course we would want to know about satan's origins because that that has theological implications as well what does it what does it say about god right but so i need to look at all the passages about satan and figure out what do i know about his origins and what do i not know about that and that becomes a much healthier discussion because it's not that we can never say something that's somewhat speculative, but it, it's always better if I can mention, okay, this is a speculation. Right, right. Finish my thought, please. <laughs> no, just amen on that. You know, make it clear when we're, when we're, it may be this, it could mean that. I, I want to amen that point. Go ahead, go ahead. Because it's helpful to discuss, to discuss possibilities about things that we don't know. Because, again, we have a more healthy, more balanced understanding of what we do and don't know. But when we can distinguish conclusions and parts that are not certain, you know, it could be, or this is probably, or this is, I don't even know. And so that's why it's helpful. Now, yeah. when we talk about spiritual beings, uh, what are the most commonly known spiritual beings, of course? Yes, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a subjective question, but to me, I mean, my, my favorite uh, uh christmas time movie is uh, it's a wonderful life and so you've got clarence the angel coming in looking for his wings so angels for sure but to me angels are the you know that's what first comes to people's mind when they think about spiritual beings i think for a good reason scripture speaks more about angels than you know than demons more about angels than satan himself um, besides the Father and Son and Spirit, angels are the next uh, most spoken of spiritual entity uh, in scriptures. Now, the word angel, both in Hebrew and Greek, I uh, have the Hebrew and Greek words here. Doesn't I don't really need to say them because I won't say them properly anyways. But in Hebrew and Greek, my understanding is it, this word is treated and used in the exact same way. And the word angel basically means messenger. That's right. Um and it can refer to a human messenger, or it can often refer to the to what is by context known to be a spiritual being, some spiritual messenger. But God calls them messengers nonetheless. In the gospel, uh, or in the New Testament, uh, evan evangelio, I think is the word. Well, that's actually the Spanish word, but the you know the Greek word. You can even see the word angel. Uh, in the word for gospel, which means good yeah. news, right? So you, the, the messenger bringing good news is the idea. Yeah, in fact, in the Greek, the EU is the part that means good. And then angel, eon, angel, angel, so, message. So it's another instance which you have one term that means multiple things. Just like the kingdom of heaven can refer to multiple things. Messenger in scripture can refer to a regular human messenger, like I could be, or it could refer to a spiritual entity representative 
uh, of God or being a representative for God. It's all based on the context. Now, in English, we have the word angel. And the word angel in English exclusively refers to the spiritual entity. We don't use the word angel to refer to a messenger, right? So our English, we've got multiple words for messenger and for angel, the spiritual being. But in Hebrew and Greek, it'd be the same word. So context will, again, determine, is this messenger a regular person or is this some kind of supernatural messenger? Uh, go ahead, Justin. Yeah, and of course, the way we're describing it here, uh, which is linguistically, that's exactly right. Um, it does very little to describe to us what their like their their makeup is. You know, a messenger. Okay, a human messenger. If I just say messenger, you know, I'm not describing his human flesh, his human form, his stature, any of those things. So when we talk about spiritual messengers, that doesn't that's just such a role. It's not really like characterizing what they are. Exactly. Um, I guess we can mention this. This kind of relates to our last class in this class. Uh, I, I grew up, you know, watching Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, I don't know that this is common anymore, but to me, maybe I was the only one. If, if I, I think a common belief was, you know, when you die, you turn into an angel, right? Oh, when yeah. you die, you become this spiritual uh, phantom with the halo, and now you're an angel. I'm an angel yeah. in heaven because I've, because I've died. Well, no, that's... That's not the case at all. Angels are angels. We are who we are. Now I'll become a spiritual being with a spiritual body when I'm resurrected, but angels are, are different entities altogether. That was very popular. I mean, that was Looney Tunes, but that was, again, it's a wonderful life. Uh, yep. Clarence, the angel, he, he was some guy died back in like the 19th century or something. And uh, he doesn't have his wings yet because he hasn't done his job. Uh, so yeah, that's a very, very common belief and if you go to funerals today oftentimes the idea is that you know all oh, our loved one is floating around somewhere mm -hmm. with their wings um i think of a country song one day we'll all have perfect wings mm -hmm. um and it's just it's a very very common belief even still yep uh and again a lot of just things are said and assumed and if you don't study the topic we don't realize oh that's not actually necessarily the case and that that was that happened to me a couple times uh, going through these things. Um, so, some. So, how can I know whether this angel is a regular human agent or a spiritual entity? We mentioned context. Uh, for instance, in Second Kings nineteen thirty-five, it mentions an angel of the Lord that slays one hundred eighty-five thousand Assyrian soldiers overnight. Probably wasn't the mailman. <laughs> it's probably the spiritual being with supernatural powers. And in fact, angels often have supernatural powers. Angels often do supernatural things, which makes sense. They're spiritual entities who are interacting with the physical realm, but do they belong within that physical realm? Do the, do the laws of nature apply to these spiritual entities, whether they do to us? Well, apparently not, because they're doing all kinds of things outside of the natural realm. Uh, what about angels' appearances? What do you guys? What can you tell me about some of the angels' appearances, or how they appear, or how they seem? Or go ahead. So, uh, this has really struck me. Notice how many times when an angel shows up, what's the first thing he says? Don't be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> if just like right now, if boom. There was an angel right here beside me right now. I would be afraid. 
And so Angel, you know, the first thing they got to do, okay, so, okay, calm down, <laughs> don't be afraid. And the text will say an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. I was just looking over some examples as you were talking. And in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord came to him. But then other times it's like uh, Joshua sent messengers to the tent of Achan, you know, and found the, the stolen stuff there. That wasn't angels of messengers of the Lord. That was Joshua sent messengers. So again, context. Well, that'd, that'd be a whole other way to read that story if you did. That'd, that'd be yeah. fascinating. Um, but, you know, sometimes it seems like angels show up and it's not even quite clear at first that they're spiritual beings it's like mm -hmm. it's like they're mistaken for humans yep and um uh, yeah it's, it's just oh well, you happen to be wearing a, a white robe but where are you from um you know joshua has this really interesting interaction uh just before the battle of jericho and there's this person standing there with a sword drawn he's like are you for us or for our enemies and he's like Nope, <laughs> I'm, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. He's like, oh, mm. uh, and so it's sometimes it, like the the way the spiritual realm gets revealed in the physical realm, something gets lost in translation, and we know like something's not right about this, but I don't know what it is until it gets straightened out. Oh, this is a spiritual being. And two verses come to mind. And by the way, I'd like to suggest because we uh, Tim's still going to get later we want to get to the devil but we don't have time today so if you've got time tim let's plan on going a third week on this um this idea of you know you die and you turn into an angel and you get your wings and everything uh two passages that come to mind that i think show that's not the case is one hebrews 2 verse 16 for truly not to angels does he that is christ give help he gives help to the seed of abraham so we're not the angels. Mm -hmm. Secondly, when Jesus says there's not marriage or giving of marriage in heaven, he says mm -hmm. they would be like angels. He doesn't yeah. say they'll be angels, but like angels, there won't be marriage. Very good, very good. So yeah, and to understand angels, it's really a piecing together, you know, all these different passages that give you snippets here and there. Yeah. You know, if if I were writing the Bible and my brain, I mean my Western brain, it's okay, here's a chapter and appendix about angels and bullet points, and this is all the things you need to know about them. And you know, oftentimes uh false religious books claiming to be inspired, uh, I think of the um Book of Mormon, for instance, uh they'll go back and they will systematically explain these things that people had religious questions about for, for, for decades. Well, here comes this nice long explanation of it because that's what we humans, we want. Let's give us, give me the, the full rundown. We don't have about angels. There's not this long section explaining them completely. It's here's an idea here, here's an idea there. And is it uniform? It's not at all. It's very different depending on all the different situations uh, angels can be invisible. You know, there was the angel that only Balaam's donkey saw. Oh, yeah. Until the angel revealed himself to Balaam. They can be seen as unassuming. You don't even know that they're spiritual beings until they disappear in a flaming fire. And then you're like, ah, that was an angel. And then they begin to bow down and, you know, worship the Lord. Or they can be intimidating from the very beginning. Uh, one thing uh, that's curious about the appearance of angels is if i'm not mistaken 
there's no instance in scripture that say angels have wings. I think I'm saying this correctly. Uh, we'll get maybe eventually talk about cherubim and seraphim and cherubim and seraphim, which are spiritual beings, have wings. I'm not necessarily sure that cherubim and seraphim. I don't know. Is, is that a different type of spiritual being than angels or are they angelic spiritual beings? I'm, I'm not sure because I don't know if it says that. Maybe Justin has something to say, but uh, there's this assumption that you're an angel. So you have wings and so you have this garment. So you, you do this thing and you do that thing. It's not uniform, uh, you know, and so don't have this automatic impression of them. Go ahead, uh, Justin. Yeah. And, and just to note, because I've, I've been in discussions about this with people who are uh, better studied than some, and they'll they'll note the same thing you're talking about here, and they'll say, uh, "Well, actually, seraphim and cherubim aren't angels." And you know, I'll just pump the brakes a little bit and be like, "Okay, let's let's give people a break." It's hard to categorize these things, and so sometimes we say angels when what we mean are spiritual beings, um, but even then, I think we have a hard time contemplating this identity of what it means to be a spiritual being because they do come down here and they do interact with us physically i mean how did he go about killing 185,000 assyrian soldiers in one night like he didn't appear as a ghost and scare him to death i mean i don't i don't know what happened there so there there's some interaction there so i guess i guess what i'm saying is let's be patient with each other mm -hmm. while we talk about these things and use terms that sometimes maybe we get the terms a little off but uh, let's not jump on each other about that. It's, they're hard to categorize. Exactly. Because do we even know that cherubim are not angels? I mean, maybe angel is a larger classification. Maybe a cherubim has gone on a, a message, you know, uh, uh, um, has shared a message for the Lord. We don't necessarily know that they're not in that category. Um, but if know. they did show up like that, we would be terrified. <laughs> but, you know, fear not, as he's got his eyes and wings yep. and lightning. Yeah. Some, some other quick curiosities. I'm going to see how far we can get before we got to close here. Uh, some other curiosities. Just see differences between angels and human beings. Just kind of solidifying we're not angels. Um, no marriage, no death, as, uh, as Luke mentions. Interesting cases when they don't eat. Uh, in Genesis 18, um, uh, what happened? Um, okay, Genesis 18, 8. So Abraham takes curds and milk and the calf that he prepared. He placed it before them. And it appears as if these three individuals that came to see Abraham, two of them being angels, seems like they ate. But then Judges 13, 16, uh, that is when um, Gideon, wait, is it, was that Gideon or Samson's yeah. parents? I think Samson's parents, right? Uh, Sam Samson's mom and dad, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they, um, the angel Lord says to them, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. So, you know, just kind of curious things. Um, I think important to notice, though, is scriptures indicate that angels are not all-knowing. They're in the spiritual realm. They're aware of things behind the curtain that we're not, but they are not all-knowing. Uh, but of that day or hour, nobody knows, not even the angels of heaven. In um, First Peter, it mentions the thing that angels desire to look into. Oh, that's right. So maybe the angels didn't know God's ultimate plan, which would make sense because in Ephesians, God manifests his manifold wisdom to all the spiritual beings as well. And so the the angels, the demons are like, oh, didn't see that coming, you know? And so we see that. Uh, there's a possibility of hierarchy amongst angels. Uh, there's a term, the archangel, which would mean a higher angel. 
Um, this is a good example of knowing and yet not speculating. So we know that there's an archangel, which, which would suggest some kind of hierarchy amongst angels. But what more can you say about it than that? You know, so, okay. So here's an interesting fact. But doesn't... Yeah, we, we, we see in Daniel, right, where even some of the archangels or chief princes there are fighting against each other. Mm -hmm. And that that's a whole new category where I have questions. But then that's all we're told is like, oh, I was contending here and this other, the Prince of Persia, and he's not talking about a human prince, he's talking about some spiritual being. Mm -hmm. And another prince came along and helped me and I go, wait, what, what happened? And then he goes on talking about something else. And I wanna know more, but we just, we don't have categories for that. Yeah. Um, which eventually will kind of make the application that I think, especially amongst conservative Christians, we need to be much more willing to accept the reality of this realm and that there is something going on. I don't know what's going on. You know, when Michael was opposed um, and he was trying to do something that the Lord sent him to do, but he had to work to accomplish it. I have no idea what that was like. Um and when we get to the concept of demons and evil spirits and so forth, I don't exactly know how all that works, but we need to believe that it's there. And we need to believe that it's having some kind of impact and to take it seriously. Um, so again, this is why we need to look at these things. Um, two angels in scripture have names, Michael and Gabriel. Not even Satan has a personal name revealed to us. So besides Yahweh uh, and then and then Jesus in, in human form, Angel uh, My Michael and Gabriel would be the only other two spiritual beings with proper names, uh, personal names that we're aware of. Um, and a lot more that could be said. But the last thing I want to mention is a, an interesting theme about angels seems to be the the idea that they are responsible over things. Uh, angels are said to be responsible over individuals. In Matthew 18, it mentions that our uh our um that the angels um i just read the verse here see that you do not despise one of these little ones for i say to you that their angels in heaven continually see my face uh the face of my father who was in heaven um or acts 12 15 uh peter uh rhoda insists that she sees peter they say no you're just seeing his angel which i think is why people believe that we turn into angels um, assuming that he turned into an angel, I think it would be the angel responsible over Peter is what they were indicating by that. Uh, in Revelation, we see angels being responsible over particular churches. There's an angel for every church. And then also the idea of angels being responsible for nations in Daniel. You've got the angel, uh, the prince of, uh, of Israel, who is Michael, then the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, these spiritual beings who are responsible for their respective nations. Again, it's a reality in scripture. We can argue, do we take that as, as, as literal, as, as an absolute, or is it more of a suggestive idea? Or uh, we can argue that, but, but it still means something. It still reflects some kind of spiritual reality. We can't elaborate much on it, but we do need to believe it's there. And then maybe speculate a bit and figure out, so what does that mean for us? How would that maybe change the way we think and act? Go ahead, Scott. One more verse along that line that you were citing. The last verse of Hebrews chapter one, speaking of angels, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to do service 
for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. Uh, and we don't have to know all how God does that. Uh, kind of like, um, oh, a friend of mine who, who accepts that the Holy Spirit indwells in a Christian. Somebody said, well, how does he do it? And my friend said, I don't even hold my know how my own spirit indwells in me. Yeah, but I just accept that it does. Uh, and, and that's a, a, an important concept. And I want to throw two things out here uh, real quickly. Angels were to be listened to. Um, for instance, when Gabriel tells Zachariah, you're going to have a baby boy, and he, he won't believe it. Zachariah strikes him unable to speak until the baby is born. But they were not to be worshipped. That's clear repeatedly in Revelation. John will bow down. The angels, angels, no, no. I'm a servant like you are. Get up. And the last thing I want to mention is this. There's a lot of people that really like the idea of angels, I think, more than they like the idea of God. Because they want a clearance. Mm -hmm. They want a clearance looking out for them. And, I mean, this says that they're sent forth to do service. And somebody protecting them, somebody, you know, helping them pick the lucky lottery numbers or something. But usually the common idea of angels is not the guy that destroyed 100, 185,000 Syrians. It's, you know, it's Clarence. And the idea of God is a little more authoritarian. And that's one reason why uh, some people enjoy focusing more on angels but the bible teaches angels and that they are there for a ministry service and then uh very quickly uh, this is only a fraction uh a small part portion of of what is said about and what can be known about angels so it's significantly significantly more than we might think is clear to us that we can know uh and this is helpful to look through all these verses and come away with some certainty and then know what is the realm of speculation beyond that. So very good. Thanks. Very helpful. Look forward to more, more from you and getting into Satan next week. Thanks Tim. Yeah. And, and through all this, Paul writes in Ephesians three, that uh, whatever we know or don't know about angels, uh, our job in being reconciled to God and to each other is that through the church, uh, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So my job is to obey God and to be reconciled to him through Christ and to each other. And, and then God God gets glory amongst these spiritual beings. So uh, mm -hmm. Tim, thanks for introducing this topic. Look forward to continuing yeah. next week. Uh, that does conclude our discussion today. Uh, thank you for joining in with us. Uh, if you found this study of God's word helpful, then please share it with others. Uh, again, if you have thoughts or questions relating to other topics for future studies, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you. And if he's willing, we'll see you next week.